time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. All right, the Vintage Truth Podcast. It's a Friday. Doesn't matter what day it is. Truth is truth. And God's truth is the best truth. And we're talking about discipleship here on the Vintage Truth Podcast and what it really means to be a disciple. You know, one of those words we throw around a lot, but we want to know what it means and more specifically, how do we live it in our daily lives? And we've covered a lot of things about discipleship. You can check the um, the feed if you want to find out what we've covered so far. Just look on their podcast app, type in Vintage Truth Podcast, and you can kind of see the other episodes that uh, that I've covered and more recently the ones on discipleship. Hey, I encourage you to not just listen, but to also share this podcast with your friends. You can tweet about it. You can Instagram about it. You can put it on Facebook, uh, share it on your feed, uh, however you talk to people. Uh, but just tell them about this podcast because it really is making a difference in people's lives. Hey, we don't have time for watered down truth. We don't have time to just play around with our faith. Uh, we live in a day and in an age where if you're not serious about your faith, you're going to get run over by the train. I mean, the world is going to eat you alive. So you better have a solid faith in Jesus Christ. And that's part of what discipleship is all about. You know, when I was in college, I had a roommate who was, who was a runner. And uh, he was one of these guys who would get up in the morning and run. He would run at night. And, and he was built like a I was not built like a runner, okay? I was built to play um, a catcher on a baseball team. <laughs> that's kind of my build here. But my friend David would run a lot. And so eventually he invited me to run with him. And so I started running with him. And we lived in the, the city downtown of Columbia, South Carolina, the University of South Carolina there, the capital city. And so we would run from our dorm all the way to the capital steps of, of South Carolina. And then we'd run up the huge, uh, those huge steps uh, leading to the capital, kind of like a rocky kind of thing, you know, then run back. And it was about three miles there and back. And I would just remember thinking, wow, running's dumb. You know, that, that's really what I came away with because I just could not convince my body to run that far. Uh, but there are people who obviously run much greater distances. I'm reminded of the story, the incredible story of the 1968 Olympic Games held in Mexico City. And the, of course, the last event of the, of the games is always the marathon, which is a little over 26 miles of what I call pure agony. The winner that year, though, was a man named Mamo Waldi from Ethiopia, and obviously a great runner. But an hour, a whole hour after he had crossed the finish line, the crowd began to hear police sirens and whistles, and, and the crowd started to talk, and all of a sudden they looked toward the far gate of the stadium where the runners would end up, and they saw a lone figure entering the track. This man's name was John Stephen Aquare, and he was from the country of Tanzania. He was the last person to finish the marathon that year in 1968. His legs were bruised, his body was bloodied and bandaged, and his face was contorted with pain. His chest was heaving, he was in complete agony and as he made his last lap around the track something very unique happened the crowd rose to its feet and began to cheer john stephen aquari he finished the race and then he quietly just walked out of the stadium when reporters later asked him why why didn't he just quit since he was in so much pain and had no chance of possibly winning the marathon 
John Stephen Aquari simply said this. He said, quote, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start a race. My country sent me 7,000 miles to finish the race, end quote. You see, John Aquari was tough because of his commitment to his country and to the race and what his body could not take, his will could. You know, I don't know how many times as a Christian that I have felt like giving up in this race, that I felt like it just wasn't worth it because the race is so long and the race is so hard and you get so beaten down and bruised and you get tired. You just get tired of running the race because daily you're just pounded by the world and by the enemy that tells you, you need to quit. I want to spend a few minutes today talking about the race and just how difficult it is when we're fighting an enemy. So I want to really hone down on our enemy, the devil. Now, I'm not going to go into a whole full-fledged theology on Satanism, uh, or rather Satanology, rather, and talk about the devil and his beginnings and all that kind of stuff. But I do want to talk about just a little bit about practically how he works in our lives, and just a few thoughts on how we can overcome that on a daily basis. You know, all of us are tempted, aren't we? Every day we face temptations. Now, I don't believe that your temptations come directly from Satan, because quite frankly, you're not that important, and neither am I. I mean, we are not so strategically important to the kingdom of God and the advance of the gospel in the world that Satan himself would say, hey guys, hey demons, I got this one, okay? Well, let me add on This guy requires the big dog for the temptation, and that's me. I mean, Satan probably doesn't say that to his demons about you or about me. But we still are tempted by the evil that he promotes out there in the world and through his demonic forces and also through our own sinful flesh, which we won't talk about now because we're going to do a whole series on the zombie within a little later on. But we're all tempted, right? We're tempted to lie, to get angry, to make cruel comments about other people. We're tempted to be proud, to be materialistic, to uh, read things we shouldn't read, or maybe to watch something on the internet we shouldn't watch. We're tempted to gossip. Some of us are tempted to have sex or to abuse alcohol or drugs or to, to curse or to feel self-righteous. Sometimes when I stub my toe, though, you know, it comes out to judge other people, to disobey authority. I mean, we are tempted in all kinds of ways, but there's a couple of things about temptation that you really need to understand. And here's the first one. Everybody faces temptations. Everybody. And everybody gives in. Now, not everybody gives in to the same temptations all the time or to the same degree that others give in or to the same frequency that others give in, but we all are tempted and we all give in. Sometimes temptation is easy to spot. You're like, that's so blatant. Come on, dude, you're knocking on the front door. I see you. And other times temptation comes out of nowhere like sniper fire and you just get taken out. You're just like, how did that happen to me just now? Okay. And you get back on your feet again, then boom, you're hit again. So the temptation to sin is real. It's powerful. Uh, but it doesn't have to destroy you. So here are a couple of things about temptation I, I think you need to know. Number one, temptation itself 
is not sin. Temptation is not sin. How do we know that? Well, Jesus was tempted. In Luke 4, verses 1 through 11, the devil took Jesus out into the wilderness and he, he was tempted out there for 40 days and yet he never sinned. Hebrews 4.15 and 1 Peter 2.22 said there was no deceit in his mouth. He never gave in to the devil's temptation, although he himself was tempted by the actual devil. Sin factors in when we're dragged away by the temptation and we give in to it. You read more about that in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, where it, it, it grows like a seed. You know, we're tempted, but just because we see something or think something doesn't mean we're automatically sinning at the moment. There's a choice that we get to make at that juncture, okay? Secondly, temptation will never be more than we can handle. Now, I know it seems like that sometimes because some temptation is really strong. Some temptation is really weak. You know, Satan sometimes will, you know, his, his demons are, you know, you have this crazy thought in your mind to go do something really stupid. And then you say, that's dumb. I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to do that. But other temptation is really strong and it plays off of your own natural sinful desires. But even then, temptation will never be more than you can handle. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 uh, tells us that, that when, we, when we are tempted, that God will always give us a way to get out of this thing. Listen to this. It says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, you're not the only person to be tempted by this. Other people go through this too. And it says, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation provide you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Like a great movie plot, you know, just when, when the hero is about to drown or get burned up in the fire or, you know, be surrounded by the enemies, all of a sudden a trap door opens or a way of escape is made. That's exactly how God does us. He always provides a way of escape. There's always an escape hatch when temptation comes. Third thing is that temptation will reoccur. I mean, temptation is not just something that comes and then you don't yield to it and then, then you know, Satan's forces just go, well, golly, I guess he just doesn't, he can't tempt that guy. Man, he's good. No, they're going to come back. In fact, the Bible even says in Luke 4, 13, says after the uh, 4, 13, after the devil failed to tempt Jesus, uh, failed to, for him to yield that temptation, says he left Jesus, quote, until an opportune time, end quote. So Jesus was tempted more than just the wilderness, okay? I mean, he was tempted throughout his life, but he always yielded to God and not to the temptation. It's like the devil and his demons, they always say, I'll be back, you know, and they're always coming back. So we always have to have our armor on for that. The fourth thing is, is that temptation and giving into temptation doesn't mean that there's no way back. There's no way back. No, when we do give in, God will forgive us when we confess our sin to him. We don't have to do penance. We don't have to pay God back. God's already made the payment through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We simply have to confess, and the word confess is the Greek word homologeo. It just means to say the same thing as God says about our sin. That's what confession is. So when we confess our sin to God, then that relationship, that fellowship that we have with him is restored, okay? Now, the Bible does tell us that we have to win this war against temptation. And, and to do that, we have to first realize that there actually is a war, you know, that we're not living 
in a neutral world. The, the world itself is not just there. There are forces that are working in the world. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, listen to what the Bible says here. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked or lived your life, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of us out there. So there's a, there's a prince who has power in the air. It's, it's the power of sin. And 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that Satan is the God of this world and that he loves to blind the minds and the eyes, rather, of the unbelieving. So there's a, a prince in the air that's, that's controlling this world system. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, because we could just blow them away if that were the case. No, God says not, that's not how you do it. It says, but it's against the rulers, powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Demons are spiritual creatures that exist in the realm where you and I are. And they work. And they're controlling things out there in the world. That's why Paul says in, in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the world. That's why at 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. He's talking about the value system that has been set up by Satan, right? And so we have to recognize that we're not living in the kingdom that Jesus one day is going to reign over, although God is in control. It's not this idyllic paradise kingdom. No, we're living in a fallen world where demons are running loose. They're, they're running loose unchecked. And, and Satan is in charge of them. He's in charge of the thought processes and the value system of this world. That's why so many media outlets, so many people who, who have radio shows and, and uh, TV shows and all these things throughout the world, th the values that are propagated over those things, even music and movies and magazines and television and books and all these things, even art, there's values being communicated. And that's why it's so important for Christians to go into all those places and penetrate those places with the goodness of the light of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in essence, we're behind enemy lines here. You know, we, we are fighting every day in a world that's in, under the control of Satan himself, of the devil, our adversary, the dragon of revelation. He's in charge. So we're behind enemy lines and we have to realize that the enemies that we're dealing with here they, they don't play by the rules, <laughs> you know? I mean, didn't it frustrate you when you were a kid and you were playing with somebody on the playground or in the neighborhood or whatever, and they just broke the rules and didn't care about it? They just made up new rules as they go along. That's what Satan does. He doesn't play by any of the rules. He hits below the belt. He sneaks up from behind. 
he runs out of bounds. And the Bible tells us that he wants to destroy everything that belongs to God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, that the devil is prowling like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, not just him personally, but all of his wicked forces in the high and heavenly places. And so he's always sneaking up behind us and telling us the things we want to hear. That's why you have to be very careful of someone who's just there to blow smoke. Well, I don't tell you where they blow smoke, but you know where they blow smoke. You know, they're just there to, I don't know, just kiss up to you. That's what Satan does. He kisses up to you because he wants you to feel good about you. But the Bible tells us that he's like a roaring lion. I once read a story. It's a true story about a lady from Little Rock, Arkansas. She was actually a, a homeless person, and she had somehow managed to make her way to Washington, D.C. And somehow while she was in D.C., she made her way to the zoo and and ended up in the lion's cage. I don't know. She climbed the fence or something like that, and the lions just ate her. They, they devoured her, chewed her up, and ate her. And the only way they knew who she was and that she was from Little Rock was from her dental records. That's the only thing that was left. Hey, listen, that's exactly what Satan wants to do to you. He wants to devour you. And he'll do any sort of luring, any sort of attraction that he can do to get you to go against God, to go against God's word, and to just simply give in, you know? Listen to what James 1.13 says. I mentioned this verse earlier. It says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God doesn't tempt ev- isn't tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But every person is tempted when by their own evil desire they are dragged away and enticed. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to, to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. One translation says, When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin gives birth to death. To death. Lust, L, S, sin, D, death, LSD, right? It's kind of like LSD. It just trips your mind, man. I mean, it completely fools you into thinking that a false reality is good for you and God's ways are not. So, man, how do you, how do you win on this thing? I mean, how do you overcome temptation? How do you beat this thing? Well, the Bible tells us, man, we've got to be full of God's word. Psalm 119 verses 9 through 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure but to hide God's word in your heart? That's how it's going to happen. We have to focus on Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says to, to set your eyes on Jesus, to gaze at him. That's the only way we're going to get through this thing, man. The Bible tells us we have to watch out for each other. In Galatians 6 Verse 1, watch out for your brother. It tells us in in Ephesians 6.18 to pray. Just to be talking to God about everything all day long. 2 Timothy 2.22 says run. (laughs) Some temptations you just run from. Don't stand and fight them. Just run. Specifically sexual temptation. And James 4 verses 7 through 10 tells us to submit to God. It says if you resist the devil If you submit to God and resist the devil, the Bible says he will run from you. You know? That's how you can beat what Satan and his forces are trying to do in your life when you just simply 
turn over to God in that moment. See, it's not that complicated, but it requires training. You know, you have to be in shape spiritually, just like I was not in shape running with my roommate over time. You know what? I was able to actually run a little bit with him. I actually ran in a race kind of thing, you know, but we have to be in shape spiritually. And that doesn't happen overnight. That happens because you train and you expose yourself to God's word and to godly teachers and a great teaching and you're getting into the word and feeding yourself reading good stuff, man, and feeding your soul with the Word of God. That's what it's all about. Hey, the race is long, the battle is real, but the victory is yours in Jesus Christ. If you want it, do you want it? How bad do you want it? I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.